0: Hello, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Father Andrew Mattingly. I am a Catholic priest in Kansas City, Missouri, and this is a podcast where I post homilies and random other stuff that I might teach or speak about. Hope you find something useful and maybe even inspiring. God bless you. Yeah, the two fundamental types of yeah. Examination. So there is an examination before confession, which is basically what, you know, you're, you're trying to, like, to some degree, like, catalog your sins. You want to, like, prepare well for the sacrament of confession. On a daily basis, though, these two types of examinations are really critical, um, the general and the particular. So uh, <clears throat> where do I want to start? So the... The general examination of conscience I'm scared for audience participation now I was gonna I was going ask you guys lots of questions but you guys are you guys are you guys are too excited so no no I'll, I'll, I'll ask you again who, who wants to take a guess at the difference between the general examination and the particular examination <laughs> yes. yes. So the general would look upon like the entire day. Uh huh. While the particular would look at a specific um, type of thing you were focusing in on. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. Nailed it. Nailed it. So the general examination, yes, yeah, an overview of your whole day, um, usually. Usually, uh, <laughs> that's gonna, the more you guys clap, that's gonna keep happening. We could. Um, so, yeah, the general examination looks at your whole day, um, and in a special way, it focuses on, like, three main categories, typically. Um, you can find all sorts of different methods of examining your whole day, but um, usually it's gonna break it down <laughs> into a... Uh, like places that, you, places that you saw God, so basically blessings or things that you're thankful for, Way, ways that you saw God work, where you saw Him, who you saw Him in, ways that He blessed you, however you want to think about it, it's these good things that you've received in the day from God. Um, so it's important to get out of our head immediately that an examination of conscience is only about looking at your sins. Um, it's, it's really like becoming hyper-aware of the Lord in your life in general. That's the easiest way to, to think about it, like greater awareness of Jesus in your life. So you start with like, where did I see God today? Um, and then after that, you move to where did I not respond to the Lord today? Right. Where did he offer me opportunities to love him? And I said no. Right. Sins, faults, etc. Um, And then, it's often good to move to, like when you finish your general examination, you can do this a number of ways. You can make like some sort of resolution for the next day, like, Lord, tomorrow I want to resolve to love you better in this particular way, and I ask your help to do that. Um, Or you can just kind of make it a little bit more generic and say like, yeah, Lord, just without making a specific resolution for the next day, you can just kind of say like, yeah, Lord, help me to help me tomorrow to like find you more, to love you more, um, et, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but those are kind of like your three basic components of a general examination of conscience at the end of the day. Thanking God for stuff, telling him you're sorry, and resolving to try and love him better the next day. Right? You can even think of these in like three simple phrases. Um, basically the phrases would be, Thank you, Lord, sorry. Help me tomorrow. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. Sorry. Help me tomorrow. Right? Um, So that's like in a nutshell what a general examination looks like. (laughs) Thought about it. Okay. Um, Any questions so far about the general examination of conscience? How long do you guys think that should take you? Would be a good amount of time to a lot for a general examination of conscience. Yeah, that's a good amount of time. Say however deep you want to go into your day. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Um, I would say that like there are certain times, whether in like our daily mental prayer or something, where we can set aside like a longer period for much deeper reflection on 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 these types of things, like trying to get at the root of certain sins and stuff like that. Um, In general, on a daily basis, you're probably not gonna spend more than 10 minutes doing your general examination. You can, but um, usually if you're doing it at night, you're too tired to be like thinking that deeply about this stuff anyway. So um, generally it's just gonna be more of like a, kind of a simple, a simple look at your day. You can also do it early in the morning. Um, That's what I have come to prefer actually, uh, because at night I'm just so tired that like, I would be more tempted, more more often than not, I would skip it because I was just so tired, and the general examination is way too important to like not do, and so um, so I do it in the morning. I uh, take a shower, make my bed, and then I sit down and do my examination. So I examine the prior day, So, so you could do Either way there, but yeah, two to ten minutes, that's a good kind of time frame. Um, If you want as well with your general examination, you can give yourself, like, somebody mentioned three, two, one. That's a popular, like, way to do a general examination is thanking God for three things or trying to identify three places that you saw him. Trying to identify two faults or sins from the day and then making an act of contrition. And then trying to identify, like, one way that you want to try and love God better tomorrow, right? One resolution. Um, So, three, two, one. And if it's also helpful, you can even think of these in terms of each person of the Trinity. You thank God the Father for the three blessings. You tell Jesus, the Son, that you're sorry for having contributed to his suffering through your sins. And then finally... A resolution for tomorrow, asking the Holy Spirit's help to like be faithful to that, right? So that can be another another helpful way to like personalize your examination and sort of order it to the Lord. Um, let's see. Any uh, any other thoughts or questions or anything about the general examine before I move on to the particular? you're not um first of all if we really love god we're going to like that love will naturally or should naturally overflow into like practical commitments to love him better right it's a sign that our love for god is somewhat lukewarm if we simply wait for like a moment of inspiration or motivation to love Him, rather than saying, this is a lot of what the topic was about last week with Plan of Life, rather than saying like, Lord, I love you enough that each day, I'm gonna take a few minutes to sit down to see where you've blessed me, where I didn't respond to that, and where I can like keep doing better. So it's just like the examination, like any spiritual practice should spring from our love for, for God, right? Um, Lord, I love you enough to want to, like, eradicate the ways that I have failed to love you and build up additional ways to love you and so on. So it's, 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 um, so it's necessary because, it, like, it should, it should spring naturally from a love for God. So that's one reason it's necessary. Another reason it's necessary is that, like, without pausing to, like, examine ourselves, we won't have the self-knowledge necessary to know, like, what to change or what to commit to, right? Um, if you never examine your life, the the level at which you, you're aware of God working in your life and your response to that will always remain superficial. Um, and if you only have a superficial self-knowledge, you can't sort of... Arrive at a really deep love of God, so you won't know you won't know your faults very well. You won't know the roots of those faults, and so on and so forth. I'll get a little bit more into that later, but um, yeah. Does that answer your question? Yes. Um, and two, you can always just look at the lives of the saints and say, was there any saint that didn't do a daily examination of conscience? Not that I've heard of. <laughs> so. Um, you can always you can always trust the example of of the lives of the saints. So, um, good. Any other thoughts or questions about the general examination? Anybody want to be open and share if they did a general examination in the last twenty four hours? One. Let's give it up. Well, next time we're all together, maybe I'll ask you guys again. Hopefully, everybody's like, "Yeah." Like, I'm doing, I'm doing my, my general examination now. Uh, okay. All right. Well, can move on to um, the particular um, particular examination. Like my favorite saint. His name is uh, Saint Jose Maria Escrivá. He characterizes the general examination as sort of playing defense like you're sort of trying to catch like anything that's coming in the way of your relationship with God and the particular examination is playing offense you're like either picking like a predominant fault or sin that you have and like really attacking it with God's help like every day until you notice some growth and change or you're picking some like virtue that you're really trying to, like, build up over time, right? So the particular examination is kind of like offense. General examination is kind of like defense. Um, You need both of them. So the particular examination, um, I'll give you some examples. So typically, well, actually, let me start with some principles. Typically, um, with the particular examination of conscience, you're just going to pick one thing. Don't. Try and do a particular examination about three things, because you'll just get lost and you won't be focused and whatever. So just pick one thing, one thing. Um, and usually, is there a bug there? Very hard. True. Yeah, your particular exam could be kinder to animals. So. <laughs> Kinder to God's creation. No, um, so, so generally most like saints and spiritual writers will suggest that when you're getting started with a particular examination, that you start with your most predominant, like external sin or fault. Your most predominant external sin or fault. So something that like is apparent to other people that's sort of like this external fault or bad habit so it could be talking too much about yourself it could be gossip it could be like lack of punctuality it could be um, becoming easily annoyed with people who you find uninteresting it could be I mean it could be a whole variety of things but but in general most saints and spiritual writers will suggest something that manifests itself outwardly not just something you struggle with in terms of like a simple thought pattern or like an interior movement, but something that actually comes out externally. Um, and to, to try and, yeah, make that your major focus for anywhere from like two months to a year, right? So you're, you're really just like every day, um, even multiple times a day, you're gonna pause for 30 seconds or a minute and you're gonna like think to yourself, okay, let's say you're working on gossip um, you're gonna think to yourself. Say you pause like right before you eat lunch. You're gonna pause for 30 seconds and kind of look over the morning and say like, "Okay, did I gossip this morning?" Let me let me let me look back over my conversations, um, and then you may pause before dinner, and then you may pause again like right before you go to bed. Um, but any anywhere between like one to three times a day, you're gonna examine this like very specific thing. Um, so that it's always kind of at the forefront of your mind that you're trying to you're trying to really overcome it um, with God's help. Um, so that's kind of like what it would look like. Um, let's see. yeah, so so again, like usually it's suggested that you start with something external after that and, and the thing that's sort of most prominent in your life, like the, the thing you struggle with the most. Um, and then after that, you could move to another external thing and another external thing um, that you struggle with. And then it, ap- after that point, you can move to this sort of interior stuff that kind of precedes the external motive. So for example, if you're working on anger, like that's your predominant fault, um, you would first begin by examining like when you let out angry words or like angry actions or or so on and then god willing (laughs) if you're diligent in examining that every day multiple times a day for let's say six or nine months god willing with god's help you'd notice some growth that you're, you're able to kind of control your external expressions of anger a little bit more and then if you want after that you can begin turning to like a deeper awareness of internal anger like when like When am I allowing interior anger towards someone to, like, fester within me? Maybe I'm not saying something outwardly. Maybe I'm not doing some angry thing. But I'm allowing it to fester. I'm not trying to surrender it to God as soon as I notice it in my heart, right? This is, like, this is a deeper level of both self-knowledge and a deeper level of, like, sort of rooting out a, a pattern of sin. So for example, let's say Susie Q struggles with anger, um, particularly towards her dad, right? That's sort of like the biggest pain point in her life is anger towards her father. And so for six or nine months, and she, let's say Susie Q still lives at home, um, for six or nine months she focuses on trying to catch herself from like saying something sarcastic and angry to her father or from like you know whatever manifestation she struggles with directly at him or even anger angry words about her father to her mother right like she, she sort of vents there right so um so she tries to work on that for six or nine months examining herself multiple times a day and she notices a big change to the point where like She's, she's more or less, with God's grace, able to like check herself before that. And then she says, okay, let me turn to like, like me sort of allowing anger to fester in my heart um, and trying to work on that. So for the next six or nine months, multiple times a day, she pauses and says, okay, is there anything like right now in my heart that my dad did or said or something from the past that's making me angry and am I am I holding on to that? Am I really like feeding it? Am I even pondering like what I would like to say to him, you know, to like get back at him? Right? And so over time, over the next six to nine months, she tries, as soon as she notices like interior anger towards her father, she tries to surrender that to God. She says, Lord, like I have my own sins and faults, I have no right. To, to, to hold this anger towards my Father. If you don't hold anger towards us when when we offend you, and you're perfect, right, you would have a quote-unquote right to anger, but we know that you don't, out of your love and mercy for us. If you don't have anger towards us, I have no right to have anger towards my Father, so so right now I surrender this to you, right? I'm, I'm not going to give myself permission to, like, dwell on this and fear Right. As soon as I notice it, I'm going to surrender it to you. So she tries to do that for six or nine months, and the Lord, the Lord helps her make progress there. So um, at the end of nine months of this practice of trying to examine anger towards her father, interiorly, she's in in a much a much better place, right? Um, And then, if she wants, after that, she can now flip. So she's worked on the negative, like fault and sin. For like a year and a half and now she can flip it and begin working on like a virtue to kind of sort of counterbalance that so maybe for the next six or nine months she says my particular examination is going to be charity towards my father right um, it's going to be particularly being charitable to him even when he's done something hurtful to me right loving when you get nothing in return right that's real like Christian charity. So for the next six or nine months she tries to examine herself each day like, are my words charitable to my father? Do they carry any sort of like negative tone? Um, or, or are they truly like words full of like simplicity and humility and honesty and so on? Um, have I done anything charitable for my father? And so on. So she can begin trying to give do the positive practice of like charity towards her father. And she pauses before lunch and before dinner for 30 seconds and examines that every day for, for six or nine months. Um, so you kind of you see what, what this could look like over time if someone were to become intentional about it and really live a particular examination of conscience. Um, and again, just putting this in perspective, this should all spring from our love for God. Like, Lord, I love you enough that I want to really attack anything that stands in the way of my relationship with you, this thing is a big obstacle to my relationship with you. So I'm gonna, like, with your help, I'm gonna get after it, and this is how I'm gonna get after it. Um, so any, any initial thoughts or questions about like how the particular examination of conscience works? Yeah? No, you shouldn't set, like, a a definite time frame. Um, it's sort of like, depending on how much we're cooperating with the Lord's grace, we may, like, let's say, <laughs> let's say my particular exam, like, I have terrible just, like, order and discipline about my daily life, and I'm like, I need to I need to get my stuff together, and I've never been good about making my bed. So let's say, like, that's my particular exam, and um, it could be by... God's grace and like you know the strength I have that one month in I've made my bed every single day for 30 days and I feel like the habit is pretty much there so maybe that particular exam only lasts a month and then I can move on to something else Um, but maybe it takes me six months (laughs) to build the habit of making my bed every day Um, so yeah I would say you just sort of like wait until you see some change and then you can move on to a new thing any other questions about this? Thoughts? So a particular exam is more so uh, physical, like doing the thing, or not doing the thing that you've been doing for a while. So my question is, how would you find the strength to do that when like, you're struggling? Uh, to do that particular exam, it's to make your bed? Worse. Are you saying, like, if I set my particular exam as, like, making my bed every day, Mm -hmm. and I fail for, like, two weeks in a row without making my bed a single day, like, what do I do? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, like, how would you, more or less, get back on the horse? Yeah. Is it just a a do thing, or have we invite the Lord into the play? Yeah. Well, I think it's, like, anything in the spiritual life, like, any commitment that we make to the Lord, or for somebody who enters into marriage, for example... Um, it's like the vows you make to your spouse. Like, for anything in this regard, we're all, there's always going to be moments where we fail. And the important thing is just, number one, that we get up quickly, that we don't sort of wallow in like a self-pity of any kind. Um, if we're surprised that we fail at something, it's an indication of pride, right? That we were leaning too much on our own strength and not on the Lord. So if you're ever surprised that you fail at something... Whether it's in the spiritual life or whatever, that's kind of like that should be like a red flag that like I was relying on my own strength. Um, So I would say it's important to get up quickly. Which to get up quickly and start over requires humility. Um, The more we we've been relying on our own strength, the harder it's going to be to get up quickly. So um, so I would say first of all we have to get up quickly if we fail, recommit ourselves out of out of love for God. And we want to like, we want to pull in like motives for fulfilling this particular examine, motives that are particularly like powerful, if you will. Um, By that I mean oftentimes when we make commitments in the spiritual life, and I mentioned this last week when I was talking about the plan of life, we make these commitments and we think about them in an impersonal way. It's sort of like the way I conceive of the particular examine is like almost like a self-improvement project um, as opposed to making it personal and about the Lord, which is going to be a much more powerful motivation, right? To say like, OK, Lord, I haven't I haven't made my bed for two weeks, <laughs> even though this was my particular examination. Tomorrow, I want to do it out of, out of I want to do it as an act of gratitude for you dying for me on the cross, right? <clears throat> that motive, making it personal about Jesus, is going to be much more powerful than just saying, like, well, I've sucked for two weeks, and, like, I want to do better, right? Um, that's, that's very impersonal. It's not really, like, or, or another self-referential motive would be, like, I lack discipline. I need discipline therefore I'm going to recommit myself to my goal <laughs> right it's sort of like there's no reference point with Jesus and so that motive is always going to fail when we're tempted to like be lazy or whatever so, so it's important that like if we fail in a particular exam and that we don't give up on it we get up quickly and we draw upon some motive like of love for Jesus um, some motive that brings us out of ourselves. Um, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. You on the virtue in making your bed. The virtue involved? Yeah. Like why is it a virtuous thing to do? So it's um, a good question. <laughs> why is it virtuous to make your bed? Um, so cleanliness in general is um, it does a couple things. Mm-hmm. One thing that cleanliness does is that when you're in a clean, ordered environment, it reminds you of your own dignity as a human person. Um, When you're in a trashy, like, smelly, dirty environment, um, it's very easy to let that kind of affect your awareness of your own dignity as a son or daughter of God. You sort of, in a similar way that when you hang out with people who are full of all kinds of vice, you tend to, like, it's, it's... it's hard to not like sink to that level to some degree, even if you're fighting hard against it. Whereas if you hang out with a bunch of saints, it becomes much easier to kind of like rise up. The same happens with our physical environment because we're not just souls trapped in bodies, we're, we're a body-soul composite. So sensible things matter, like for the human person. So when my environment is clean and ordered, um, it reminds me of my own dignity. Um, and uh, what what else do I want to say about that um also like taking care of physical things that I own um is a a sign of like like piety and reverence for the Lord like when I treat the stuff like when I treat earthly realities in just sort of like a haphazard like um what's Pope Francis always say like a throwaway culture you know like um if I treat physical things that I own and I don't take care of them, it's, um, it's kind of a lack of reverence for God. I, I'm not appreciating these things as gifts from Him. Um, so, I don't know. That's another thought that comes to mind. But um, Yeah, good question. Actually, the making the bed thing, that reminds me. When I was a kid and my parents would always get on to me about making my bed. Because, I'll be, I'll be honest with you guys, I've only had that habit as like an ingrained thing every day for about two years now it took me that long <laughs> um i was very like off and on with it up until a couple years ago my temperament is not really given to like order and organization so it's taken a lot a lot of effort and a lot of god's grace to arrive at some sort of place of like <laughs> self-order um uh but yeah, hey, when i was a kid my parents would get on to me for not making my bed i remember telling them one time um I was like, God doesn't care if I make my bed. Like, <laughs> He still loves me, which is true. <laughs> um, but it's a sign that I don't really love Him if I'm not willing to like <laughs> try and like keep the things that He's given me orderly and and clean and and so on. So um, it's true that His love is unconditional. But to presume on that and say like, well, because God's love is unconditional, I can just do whatever I want with my stuff or with my time or with my life. That's obviously a very childish way of looking at things. I was a child at the time, so <laughs> I'll, give, I'll give myself a little grace there. But, um, but, uh, but yeah, and, and similar to how, like, you know, you, you clean your house when you have guests coming over um, out of respect for them. Like, I, I want to create a hospitable and welcoming environment for my guests. You can kind of transfer that concept to, to the Lord to say, like, the earth is the Lord's house. Like this is his dwelling place, his temple, and so like I want to, I want to do what I can to order this place where God is present. Um, I may not have guests coming to my house today, but the the Lord is present everywhere, and so I want to, I want the things I own and, and to be sort of presentable and. It also feels really good when you come home at night and your bed is made. You know, It's like, <laughs> it's like, oh, at least I did something today. <laughs> you know, If everything else fell apart, you're like, okay. Well. <laughs> um, adding on to that, there was a very famous speech made by a mm-hmm. former president. Huh. I did see that, that yeah. Uh, yeah. Where he said, no, you should make your bed every day because you start the day by accomplishing something. And then even if you have a crappy day, you come home and your bed is made. Yeah. Yeah. The spiritual thing is good too. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's great. Any other thoughts on the um, particular examination? Okay, let me give you guys some further examples. So, I mentioned like with vices, like, um, you could examine gossip, for example. Um, this may not this may not be as much of an, a struggle for some of you right now, but I can tell you that like once you get sort of a normal job in the real world, this becomes a very significant struggle for many people um, because often you're the only believer um, in the context of your workplace, and so you feel alone and isolated and you become afraid that like if i don't participate in this gossip, like people won't accept me and like I'll, I'll, I'll dread coming into my job every day, and so on and so forth. It becomes a pretty difficult struggle for many people. Um, so anyhow, just be ready for that. But like gossip could be a particular examination. Punctuality, like I said, talking about yourself too much, bad language, wasting time, um, various aspects of like order and cleanliness, um, all sorts of things. Okay, virtues that you could focus on in your particular examination. If you're married, um, you could focus on different aspects of living out your vocation. So, like, your particular examination might be I want to give a physical sign of affection to my spouse when I come home every day, or like when I leave for work every day, or I want to offer a word of encouragement or praise to one of my kids every day. Um, or, you know, you could think of all sorts of things to, to focus on in, in married life. Um, Things having to do with your work, so like if you have, you know, um, those of you, many of you have part-time jobs, so you can apply this to that. Um, Those of you who are students, you can apply this to your studies. Those of you who are missionaries, you could apply this to, I mean, almost anything really that you do. Um, But being diligent about our work, we could make a number of different, like, particular examinations about, like, how well am I working? Am I working with cheerfulness, or do I... Do I begrudge certain aspects of my work? Often, for example, people will like say that, oh, I enjoy this part of my work, but they'll always complain about like, you know, admin stuff, you know, emails and whatever, like super easy to complain about those things. But that could become like the thing that you most dislike in your professional sphere is a prime opportunity to practice like the virtue of diligence and the virtue of self-denial, right? Denying what, what you want, right, in favor of what needs to be done. Um, so for example, something that I know a number of people have done as a particular exam is at their job, you know, they have a to-do list and they rank, you know, what most needs to be done first at the beginning of every day. And instead of doing the seventh most important thing on the list, which is the easiest thing, they push themselves to say, no, I'm going to do the most urgent thing first, even if it's the most distasteful activity to me that's a part of my job. That's a real way to like mortify your own desire for just ease and convenience and comfort. right? Um, so that's, a, that's an example. So that could be like someone's particular exam, and I'm always going to do first what most needs to be done. If you're a student, this is a, <laughs> this is a great one. To like examine yourself on, you know, like I got these five assignments. These three are like super easy, but they're not due for like two weeks, and then these two are due in the next three days. I'm gonna do these first. I'm gonna do these three easy ones, <laughs> even though they're not the most urgent. Um, and then I'm gonna get to this, like, to prac to have a particular examination of saying, like, no, no, no. I'm always gonna do the first thing first. Um, that's a great one. Um, Order and like practicing the virtues of order and cleanliness, you know, you could for example commit if you live with other people Which is probably most of you um, You could commit to never leaving a dirty dish out. That could be your particular examine for a while um, And all those times where like You really just don't want to like take 12 seconds to wash it and put it in the, the tray or to just stick it in the dishwasher <laughs> um, Yeah Think it, think, think about it, think about it. Uh, this, uh, this happened to me at lunch today, actually. I I, um, I had my lunch in like this little bowl that I had microwaved, and um, after I brought it back into the kitchen, what I really wanted to do was just fill the bowl with water and leave it in the sink. It was like... That way, it'll be easy to scrub out later. I was like, no, (laughs) I'll take 20 seconds and, okay, let me pick up the sponge, wash it out, put it in the dishwasher, okay. felt a lot better about myself. (laughs) So, um, order and cleanliness. Courage, um, you could work on the virtue of courage, for example, Um, to give you, a practical image of what that might look like. Again, you get in the real world, and nobody at your job has the same worldview as you, and you find yourself often in conversations where somebody says something that you like completely disagree with about something important. Oftentimes, out of a, a faint-heartedness and a lack of courage, people will just kind of, and a, a desire to keep sort of an artificial harmony and to not like, you know, cause any issues or be looked at weird or whatever out of fear, basically, and a lack of courage. Oftentimes, people will find themselves just kind of like nodding along, you know? Just kind of like, sort of in a way, like tacitly agreeing with what they're saying. Um, Whereas one way to work on the virtue of courage is to say, okay, when I'm in that context, I'm not gonna be rude, but I'm gonna have the courage to say, hmm, that's that's an interesting point. I, I think I disagree, you know? And to, like, to have the courage to actually say that. Um, and so that's, just, that's a simple way that somebody, for example, could examine how they're working on the, on the virtue of courage. Um, if you want to work on the virtue of courage as your, practic- as your particular exam, and it's good to identify the thing in your life that produces the most fear and then to commit yourself to like, okay, how am I going to confront this? Rather than just like avoiding the thing that I'm afraid of, or like whatever. So, courage, uh, cheerfulness. Um, cheerfulness is a great one to work on. To say, okay, for three to nine months, I'm going to try and be cheerful all day long, even when I'm doing the most mundane task, or even when I had a conversation with somebody that didn't go so well. If I notice that I'm I'm like feeling down and I'm acting down. I'm gonna like try and pull myself out of that and remind myself I'm a son of God. Jesus died for me on the cross. I have nothing to be sad about. Okay, turn that frown upside down. Like (laughs) um, so, you could you could uh, I mean in your particular exam you could work on something regarding like living more in the presence of God throughout the day. So you might say okay every time I pass a Catholic church, I'm gonna make a spiritual communion with with the Eucharist that's present there or every time I encounter someone for any sort of like interaction, I'm gonna try and greet their guardian angel before I begin the conversation so that I so that I like am just aware of the supernatural weight of like this is another human person. Or I'm gonna try and like when I encounter someone just take like two seconds to acknowledge the fact like the presence of God with them in the sense that they're made in his image and likeness or I'm going to try and practice the presence of God by um, driving to and from school or work in silence so that I can be more present to the Lord. Whatever it might be, there's a whole variety of things that you could commit to for a particular examine for practicing the presence of God. Um, okay, any final questions about the particular exam? Yes? Yeah, just uh, your point on cheerfulness struck hmm. me. What if you like actually have a legitimate thing to be sorrowful for? Mm-hmm. So like there's a natural grieving, grieving process that you go along with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, wouldn't it be better to allow the natural set of emotions that would accompany that to happen, um, and then mm-hmm. kind of like operate in a place of like, OK, or I don't know, I'm just thinking that if I were to always practice Okay. Yeah. Something tragic just happened. I'm just gonna be cheerful about it and kind right, of white knuckle it and force myself to try and like right. just get, look at the good things. Yeah. So it's possible to have a mixture of like joy and sorrow at the same time within ourselves about different objects or like different things. So um, it is possible to have joy all the time, no matter what tragedy is going on. Because the joy is ordered towards the fact that God loves me, I'm a son of God, he's redeemed me, he has a place for me in heaven, and so on. Like, those things never change, and so the joy that they can produce in us should never be able to change as well. Now, I may have that joy simultaneous with a sorrow about some tragedy or or something else. Um, And so it is possible, and it's not disingenuous or hypocritical or like inauthentic to, let's say you're at work and you receive news that like a dear friend just passed away. It's not inauthentic to like, okay, I have to interact with three people on my way out the door to like begin getting involved with whatever needs to get involved with my friend's funeral. It's not disingenuous to like, greet those people with a sense of cheerfulness um, as you leave the building because does the receptionist really need to like know about your particular situation maybe depends on how close a (laughs) relationship you have with them Um, I suppose you could share that and ask for prayers and stuff but um, all that just to say like it's not you you can have both at the same time if that makes sense Um, so good question Any other questions about particular examine? Okay. The last type of examination of conscience, which not very many authors will talk about this as an actual like examination of conscience, but it is helpful to know about. Um, Some authors will call the habitual examination of conscience. Um, And basically what this is, is kind of like a quick temperature check on your heart that you take at different moments of the day, right? Um, To make sure that your heart is primarily oriented towards God and not towards, like, something that isn't God. (laughs) Um, So I'll read you a a quick section on this from this book uh, called Frequent Confession. Great book. Um, It kind of describes the habitual examination of conscience. Uh, Okay, so it is not enough only to get to know the acts in which we fail. It is equally important, even more important, to explore our interior attitudes and dispositions. For this purpose, the so-called habitual examination of conscience can be recommended. A quick look at our interior state, often repeated. A glance to see what feeling or inclination of heart is predominant at the moment. Among the many feelings that crowd the heart, there is always one feeling that dominates, that gives the heart its direction, so to speak, and determines its mood. At one moment, it might be the need for recognition by others. At another time, fear of blame or of humiliation or suffering. At another time, jealousy or embitterment on account of some injustice suffered. At still another time, some suspicion or some disordered desire regarding our work or our health. Or again, it might be a certain state of discouragement on account of certain difficulties or some failure or some other experience. So those are all sort of like what you might call negative dispositions of the heart. And the habitual examination would pause at 9.05 a.m., 10.30 a.m., 11.06 a.m., Look inside your heart for like 10 seconds. Okay, is it, well, what is the direction of my heart right now? Is it it in one of these negative places? Um, Then he goes on. This predominant feeling can, however, also be a movement of love for God, a compelling desire to make sacrifices, a glowing zeal for God's interests. It could be joy in the service of God, in submission to God, in humiliation, in the desire for mortification and self-surrender, where is my heart what is the prevailing disposition that determines its attitude the real mainspring that keeps all the rest of its movement going right that's the that's the question you ask in the habitual examination like where is my heart where is my heart Um, i'll tell you that most people who haven't done like consistent examinations or self-reflections for a long time have very low level of awareness of like where their heart is throughout the day. And so this is just really critical. Like you want to arrive at a point in your life where you become instantly aware if your heart is not pointed to God for even five seconds, like no exaggeration, right? That's the kind of level of like self-awareness and self-knowledge that we want to develop. Um, But for most people, they can go days, even weeks at a time with their heart not oriented towards God, and they're not even, they're not even aware of it. They don't, they don't have the self-knowledge to, to really like, be able to pinpoint that. So this habitual examination is really critical, so that if our heart is not in a good spot, we can reorder it, point it back to, to God. Um, so any thoughts on the habitual examination? You're saying to make the habitual examination your particular examination? Yeah. I guess you could. Yeah. I guess you could pause at lunch and say, "Did I make my habitual examinations throughout the morning?" <laughs> 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 I mean, I suppose you could. Yeah. Or like the same yeah. vice or virtue that you're working on in your particular examination, like that's what you like focus on in the habitual uh yeah i I mean i suppose so i mean the the habitual is meant to be kind of a catch-all i guess to not just identify like whether i'm pointed towards the specific virtue or vice that my particular exam is about it's more kind of just a generic like temperature check (laughs) Um, so if you guys want to practice the habitual examination a good way to do that is if any of you have watches or phones that go off on the hour throughout the day, you can use that as your prompt to like, okay I'm just going to take 15 seconds and look in my heart, is there anything right now that I'm afraid of? Anything that I'm angry about? Anything that's making me feel lonely? Anything that's making me feel frustrated? Anything that's making me feel fill in the blank? Go down the list of all sorts of negative emotions and like thought processes and if you notice that something's off, counteract it with some truth from the Lord reorder your heart to Him Um, So you can use the little alarms in the hour to to do that. Okay, I'm going to go on, finally, just two two really important principles to remember when you make examinations of conscience of any kind. Number one is that you always want to make sure that your examinations are personal. In other words, that the reference point is God. I mentioned this a little bit earlier. Not that the reference point is yourself with some kind of like self-improvement or whatever, right? This is a real danger. Like um, it's also a danger with the plan of life that I mentioned last week. It's really a danger with any commitment that you make to God, (laughs) that like it becomes about you and your progress and your growth rather than about love of God, right? It can be very subtle, but it's absolutely critical that the reference point is always Jesus. Um, So, for example, with your general examination, what this would look like is like, I'm thanking God the Father for his blessings throughout the day, and then I'm going over here, and I'm saying sorry to a person. I'm saying sorry to Jesus on the cross for contributing to his suffering, right? It's personal. It's not just that I like I've failed with this or that fault or sin. I've hurt a person, Jesus, whom I love, right? So he's the reference point. And then for my resolution for the next day, I'm not just resolving to build a good habit that's impersonal. I'm resolving to love Jesus better, right? This is, this is so important, I can't stress this enough. Otherwise your examinations will become self-referential, they'll become mechanical, they won't be full of love. They'll, you'll lose your motivation, right? It has to be about, about the Lord. Um, so, and with the particular examination, make sure that like you don't have it in your head that I'm trying to accomplish a goal or I'm trying to get rid of a fault or I'm trying to even grow in holiness. Like you can say all those things as long as you always back it up with, but why do I want to accomplish this goal? Oh, because I love Jesus and I, I want to love him better. Why do I want to grow in holiness? Oh, because growth in holiness means that I'm loving Jesus better, right? The one who gave his life for me. So it's always got to be personal. Um, okay. Any thoughts on that before I give you your last, your last principle here? Okay. The last thing is... Um, And you may not always have time to do this in like a very deep way in your daily examination so i would encourage you if you get into this habit of your daily examination and you start to be able to identify your top two or three struggles for example then i would take these top two or three struggles to a longer period of prayer and try and dig down to the root of the issue. A sin is just a surface level manifestation of stuff that's going on much much deeper. I'm going to give you like five people who struggle with frustration and anger and each of the five people that I'm going to describe have varying depth of self-knowledge about this particular struggle. Um, So the first person I'm going to describe their level of self-awareness about their frustration and anger is very superficial. The fifth person I'm going to describe has an extraordinary depth of self-knowledge as to why, what the root of their struggle with frustration and anger is. Right? Okay, Sandy is our first example. Sandy struggles with frustration and anger. She has very superficial self-knowledge. She is only aware of her frustration and anger when it comes out externally. That's the only time she's aware that this is a struggle, is when she says something out of frustration or anger. Then we go to Billy, who'll say he has mediocre self-knowledge. Billy is not only aware of his frustration and anger when it manifests externally, he's also aware of it when it begins to fester in his heart. Right? He has a deeper self-knowledge. Right? He's getting closer to the root, at least a little bit. So, you know, somebody comes in and interrupts him in his office at two p.m. while he's working on an important project, he gets he starts to notice that interiorly he's getting frustrated and angry, and he's able to catch himself before it develops any further. Right? So, level two <laughs> of self-knowledge. Right. A lot of people actually would have in their head that like that's about as much self-knowledge as you can get about a struggle right that you're able to notice when it's going on internally like what deeper self knowledge could there possibly be Ooh, (laughs) there's a lot okay number three megan we'll say that megan has deep self-knowledge we'll give her that here's how megan describes herself and what she knows about her sin of frustration and anger She says, I realize that I have a desire to control things. If I feel I'm losing control of aspects of a certain situation, a project at work, a relationship, etc., then I become prone to frustration and anger. So you notice this is one, one layer deeper, right? She's aware that what prompts me to begin to be interiorly angry and frustrated is a situation where I feel like I'm losing control, right? This is, see, see how this is gonna be much more helpful now in her overcoming this frustration and anger. She's gonna be able to start looking out and identifying and being aware of situations where she might feel like she's not in control of something, right? So she's one step ahead now. Okay, two more layers to go. So Johnny will say has We'll give him the title, Superior Self-Knowledge. Here's how Johnny describes himself in regards to frustration and anger. He says, I recognize, like Megan, that losing control of a situation or some reality in my life leads me to frustration and anger. One day, I asked the Lord in my examination of conscience, why I'm so afraid of losing control? Right, there's a fear of losing control. Why I'm afraid of losing control. And almost immediately, God provided me with the answer. He said, Johnny, the reason you fear losing control is that you don't trust me to guide your life. You only trust your own plans for your life. You only trust your own judgment, your own thought processes. You don't trust me. So when you lose control of the situation, you get angry and frustrated because you don't trust that I'm still in control. Right. And that I will be a good father to you that I'm guiding everything, right? You don't trust me. So this is yet one layer deeper, right? He, he's aware that he is afraid of losing control. Why? Because he doesn't trust that God is, is always in control. He doesn't trust the Lord. Um, okay. So you might think that that's the end, <laughs> right? But you can take it one step deeper. So Teresa... Teresa is our exemplar of self-knowledge, because she's been doing examinations of conscience faithfully for five years, right? (laughs) This can be you. (laughs) So, all right, here's how Teresa describes herself. She says, years ago, I thought I understood the deepest root cause of why I get frustrated and angry when I lose control of a situation. I thought the deepest possible root of this was that I didn't trust God to guide my life. So when I lost control, I got angry because I didn't believe deep down that he was guiding my life. But then one day it occurred to me to ask one more why question. I asked myself, why do I struggle to trust God to guide my life? And the answer quickly came to me. The answer was that because Of certain experiences of suffering in my past, I began to buy into the lie subconsciously that he wasn't actually good, or at least that he wasn't good to me, that he didn't have my best interests at heart, that he was holding out on me in some way. Ultimately, I didn't trust him to guide my life because I doubted in some respect his goodness. That was the deepest, deepest root of the reason why something as simple as being cut off in traffic or interrupted at work could put me into a rage and make me upset because I believed in the lie that there wasn't a single good thing that God was going to bring from those situations because I didn't believe that, that he wanted good for me in, in every possible situation. I didn't believe my father was guiding those things or that he just didn't care to bring something good from them. So, again, you can see how you can deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper in, in your self-knowledge, right? Um, hopefully most of you are at least at level two. <laughs> you at least have like some awareness of when interiorly stuff is, is a mess. Um, but I encourage you, once you identify your top two or three struggles, take those to like longer periods of prayer. Try and dig down, find the roots. Because always just trying to like eradicate the sin at the top is sort of like pulling a weed out of a garden without getting the root. Right? It's just going to grow back. So with sin we have to like dig and dig and dig and dig um any thoughts or questions or about that? Hmm. All Right. who here is going to start doing a daily examination yeah yeah um yeah. 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 uh, i have a few announcements before that oh yeah Yep, we can do that. And then uh, after those announcements, um, I'll expose the Eucharist in the chapel and then hear confessions in the kitchen. (laughs) And and then Mass will be at nine. Okay, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, we ask your uh, assistance moving forward to be ever more aware of how you're working in our life. Um, help us to recognize as quickly as we can when we've allowed our hearts to stray from you. When we've allowed them to fall into a, a lack of trust in your goodness and your guidance um, and confidence in your plan for us. Help us to course correct and bring our hearts back to you um, as quickly as we can. Um, and help us to be faithful in uh, examining ourselves each day. Um, not so that we can feel good about our own self-improvement, but so that we can love you better um, in thanksgiving for everything that you've done for us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed, Blessed art thou, are thou women. Blessed is the, is the fruit, fruit of thy Jesus. Holy, Holy Mary, Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.